ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 proudly present the Killer Bees. Definitely a fan of the Killer Bees. Don't sweat the technique. Live from the Mobile Veritex Community Bank Studios and Silver Street Studios, site of the tailgate. Here now are the Killer Bees, Jill Blank and Jeremy Branham. Oh, hell yeah. You about to get all stung up. Ooh, what up, H-Town? Hey, how we doing? He's blank. I'm Bradham. Joe George is right next to us. It, it might change what we say. No, it won't. Uh, Brian McDonald's back at uh, the Gal Media Estates. We're broadcasting live from Silver Street Studios for the tailgate. I can't wait. They're getting it ready. I, I can already tell this place is going to be packed tonight. It's going to be jam-packed. I can already tell the food's going to be good because I can see all these kiosks. I can tell that the drink's going to be good. We're about to make Joe George go take a bottle or two. Uh, I'm excited for today. I'm excited for this. How are you doing, Blankers? Hanging in there, man. Hanging in there. It's a great event. It's a neat space, and I think a lot of people are going to have a whole lot of fun that show up tonight. Yeah, it's going to be cool. Um, we're going to start our show with some Astros. Uh, it might be this way for a couple more days as the city grieves the loss of the Astros. Texans had a bye, so they didn't really do a great job of – uh, distracting us. Now, they do play Sunday, and I think that they'll distract us Sunday going forward the rest of the year. And an exciting matchup, too. We'll talk plenty of Texans today. Uh, the number one pick of the draft, number two pick of the draft. We'll start looking ahead to that. Are the Texans legitimate playoff contenders? The trade deadline is in six days. Are they buyers? Are they sellers? Will they be active? We'll talk plenty Texans today. But the, I think the main conversation in this city today is something that Brian McTaggart put in his newsletter. Uh, Dusty Baker reports were, the, I mean, minutes after the Astros lost Game 7 of the ALCS, that he has told those in the organization and out of the organization that he has managed his last game. Uh, the Astros have announced a press conference tomorrow to address things. They won't say what it's about. Brian McTaggart, in his latest mailbag, is saying who will be the manager in 2024. Dusty Baker is likely headed to retirement. The Astros are going to have a new manager in 2024 if you put two and two together and read the tea leaves. We were going through some names yesterday. We were talking about this yesterday. The most important thing that we might have said yesterday or talked about was well who's leading the charge who is who's guiding this surge and maybe the conversation should be who should be guiding the surge because Brian McTaggart in his newsletter today he says the Astros will look to get younger in the managerial role and what will be an attractive job why wouldn't it be the Astros aren't going anywhere they're still going to be very good McTaggart says Dana Brown who was hired as GM just before spring uh, spring training will have a say in who's in the manager's chair but Owner Jim Crane and Jeff Bagwell, the team's senior advisor to ownership and baseball operations, will oversee finding the next Astro skipper. I read that, Blankers, and I'm I'm fearful that this golden era is going to be over sooner rather than later. That's a scary proposition. I, I you know I've been in it through enough of them in a different league, in a different time of my life. When the owner was adamant he was going to be involved, and rightfully so because he owns the team. The Bagwell element of that is very, very scary, obviously coming off of what he did when there was no GM in place. But what that reads to me, Jeremy, is the fact that Dana Brown basically, for lack of a better term, but basically seems to have been castrated in certain power uh, roles with the the job of general manager. Because in any other organization, the general manager is going to lead the charge. He's going to make the recommendations, narrowing it down to a few solid candidates. And then he's going to have a discussion with the owner, and the two of them are going to hash it out. In this case, adding Bagwell to the mix and then basically stating that the owner and Bagwell are going to end up being, it seems like, the people with the most power in the room. I don't like how that sounds at all. No, this is uh, – I gave Jim Crane a pass last year, and I think he was deserving of a pass uh, because they won the World Series. So, like, you win the World Series, uh, I think that you can get away with some things that, that maybe you shouldn't normally get away with. And I know that a lot of baseball insiders, they didn't like the way that Crane handled the click firing, and, you know, we gave Crane a pass. They won the World Series. He knows what he's doing. In hindsight, don't love the move. And I'm not going to give Crane a pass again this year. Uh, World Series, benefit of the doubt. Cool, you got that last year. You didn't win the World Series this year. You don't get the World Series, benefit of the doubt. I understand what Crane is doing. I think that Crane was a bit embarrassed by the sign-stealing scandal, that his team was exposed as the, like, the biggest culprit of sign-stealing. We know now that that's not, I mean, they weren't the only team doing it. It was probably pretty universal around all of Major League Baseball. And he even talked about it at the time. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be surprised by things within my organization again. When he was hired and then he hired Jeff Luno, he gave Jeff Luno the power 
to do whatever Jeff Luno wanted. Jeff Luno built this golden era. Move after move that he hit on, it wasn't 100%, didn't hit on all of them, but was a great general manager, built this golden era, built the the pillars and the foundation of what has turned into this golden era for the Houston Astros. And then whenever he had to fire Luno and A.J. Hinch, he sat at the press conference and said, I'm not going to be surprised by anything that happens within this organization again. And since that day, he is not giving power to any general manager. I know there's only been two, but he hired a manager after that, before he hired a GM. He took the manager's side over the GM side as recently as last trade deadline or two trade deadlines ago when he traded for Contreras using Urquidy. Dusty Baker said no, and the owner sided with Dusty Baker instead of Click. Then we hear, you know, he hires Dana Brown. How much influence does Dana Brown have? Dana Brown and Dusty seem to kind of fight about the same lineup stuff that Click and Dusty were fighting about. We heard rumors about bringing in a president of baseball operations and David Stearns, and Brown was a little bit blindsided by that. And now we're hearing again that the head of this search is ownership and the ownership's friend in Jeff Bagwell, I don't like how the owner is having more control than a general manager. And I understand that it's Crane's baby, it's Crane's team, he owns this thing. But I'll ask you this question. Who do you trust more in baseball decisions, an owner or a really, really, really smart general manager? Yeah, there's no doubt about it. You know, The only thing knock on Dana Brown is he hasn't had the head title of general manager before he got to Houston. But other than that, based on what he's done, who he's discovered, guys he's signed and been responsible for in the organization that he worked for with the Braves, there's nothing to not believe that this guy doesn't know baseball, know how to analyze talent, and know what needs to be done on a day-to-day basis running a Major League Baseball team. Owners think that they know everything because they have a ton of money. Some made their money by actually being a part of how the money was made in the business world. Others inherited it, like Cal McNair. But the fact is, they need to feel relevant, and their way of feeling relevance is getting engaged in aspects that involve on the court, on the field, with teams when they own a team. It's a scary proposition if you're an Astros fan because of the fact that when we look at across sports, the owners that like to do it, like Jerry Jones who made himself general manager, like Dan Snyder who told his personnel department who he was going to draft in the first round at quarterback when the personnel department thought totally different of the decision. Owners with all the power love to just tinker with it like it's a new set of Legos and build whatever they want, however, which way they feel and see uh, suited to do. And that's scary because there's no question Dana Brown knows more. And and it, this this decision and then the way that you see it play out in, in McTaggart's um, uh, email, you understand one thing too. It's not just limited to the managerial search because you would then assume that this is what Dana Brown was fighting with Dusty Baker about. The fact that Dana's not going to have control of the lineups. He's not going to have the say that a general manager in today's baseball really would should demand but would want no matter what. And that's really, really worrisome when you're an Astros fan hoping that this era of Astros baseball continues. Because I know what the counterpoint is. The counterpoint is, well, well who hired Jeff Luno? Okay, that's a, that's a good counterpoint. I understand it. But it's how they operated with that general manager when they've employed that general manager. Because when Crane hired Luno, he gave Luno full power and got out of the way. He wasn't meddling in Luno's decisions. He even signed up. He even signed off on, on Luno wanting Roberto Osuna. Like, think about that. Crane said, oh, yeah, this is your team. You do with it what you want. If you want to sign that, that domestic abuser, Roberto Osuna, trade for him, then you go ahead and do that. That's how hands-off Jim Crane was. And then the moment that he had to fire two of them, he hired a manager before a GM, never gave Click say, disagreed with Click so much, and probably influenced by Dusty, disagreed with Click so much that he gave him a one-year contract, a Fugazi one-year contract, Fugazi one-year contract, had zero interest in bringing him back, but just didn't want to be the owner that fired a general manager, so gave him this empty, fake one-year contract that no way he was ever going to accept. Crane knew what he was doing. Click wasn't going to accept that. Like, And Click was a good general manager. Like People called Click cheap. Okay, he didn't sign Starling Marte like the owner wanted. Starling Marte is one of the worst contracts in baseball. That was win Click. Click brought in Yiner Diaz for a like a punch and Judy hitting center fielder. He traded for Dubon for Alex Bregman's personal catcher. Like, Click made some moves. He, didn't, he wasn't splashy. He wasn't somebody that spent all of Jim Crane's money. Maybe Jim Crane wanted him to spend money. But move after move that Click was making was sound. It was good. It led to a World Series. You chose Dusty Baker over James Click. You fired him, never gave him full control. And now you're doing the same thing with Dana Brown to the point where you didn't even hire Dana Brown at the beginning of last offseason because you wanted to control things in the offseason for yourself. You wanted to handle the hot stove, so you wait until just before 
before spring training to bring a general manager in, which is basically handcuffing a general manager. You give man- you give Baker control over or say over Dana Brown throughout the entire season, like with the center field situation, with the catcher center situation, when Dana Brown was going to the media. Yeah, I would love Yiner's bat in the lineup more, but Dusty gets the say. You do it with the whole flirting with David Stearns, and now you're not even going to give your general manager full say over a managerial search. And I'm worried that we're seeing an owner that over medals to the point where the sustained success of this golden era isn't going to be open as long. It's dangerous. It's a, it's a definitely danger zone situation. It's a slippery slope because you know word's going to travel fast around the league too. You know that in circles where you know that there are other sound baseball minds. You were able to bounce back from your own personal issues with James Click to go get an up-and-coming general manager. If you screw this one up too and you do it for the same reasons and under the same set of circumstances, it's going to be tough to get another guy that wants to come here and try and take on that role and responsibility knowing that their butt's going to be on the line but they're not going to be able to have the decisions necessary to make sure that their butt doesn't get fired and gets an extension. It's scary because of the sustained success that this baseball team has achieved but we also know that they've reloaded the deck multiple times in this golden era of Astros baseball and it's going to be needed to be done again and multiple times and you're going to need a sound mind in baseball that has the control and the power to be able to say hey look you hired me for this job you hired me as a quality candidate. Now let me do the job you hired me to do. I'm going to consult with you. Obviously, yep. you signed the checks. But you can't put me in a situation where I can't orchestrate a deal. Or the most frustrating thing for a general manager is you get a deal three-quarters of the way done, and then you go, well, let me go talk to my owner. i got to go get approval, and or, by the time you come back, or, it's over. Or even worse than that, you, you, get, you complete the deal, you go to your owner, and your owner asks the manager. Like think yeah. about that. Yep. Like yep. think about that. You've completed a trade. You get the. You try to go to the owner to get signature, and Crane dials to the dugout and is asking the manager what he thinks. Like, yeah, of course, Click left. Well, and like my. But the other part of this too, though, is that like, what if he's forcing trades that you don't want to do? Like, let's just look at the one that's been done. Dana Brown traded away his top two prospects for Jim Crane's best friend. Yeah. His golf yeah. buddy. Now, yeah. like, I like the Justin Verlander trade. I think it was still the right move to make. You need him, I think, for the next year or two, and hopefully he can stay that same guy. But, like, does Dana Brown make that deal on his own? I think we even have to question that now. Just, like, is is Jim Crane just stepping in again and being like, hey, not only do we need a starting pitcher, you need specifically Justin Verlander. Go get it done. It's just he's overstepping too much. Like, they got to be careful, like, how they handle this because – the manager is not going to make or break this team, but it leads you down a path that is not pretty, potentially. This is what he's done in business for people that I know and sources that I've heard in terms of in the business side of things, where he, in certain aspects of certain businesses, people will work for months to get a deal done. And, and, and when the deal is being orchestrated and finalized, he walks into the conference room and basically will blow it all up and, and, and walk in and just take control of everything and leave everybody that did all the hard work left on the wayside to try and figure out if they can – you know, pick up the pieces. It's a scary proposition. It's one thing to be able to do it in with success in business, but when you're trying to do it in baseball or any professional sport with all the layers and the elements, it's a dicey. It's dicey when you start doing to try and try to do too much. See, I trust him in his business that he started and became a self-made billionaire. Like that, that's his area. That's his area of knowledge. And I understand he played baseball. But do you want a really savvy general manager like Luno or Click making decisions, or do you want Jim Crane and best friend Jeff Bagwell making decisions? 713-780-ESPN. Our faces are on Twitch because we're broadcasting live at Silver Street Studio ahead of the tailgate a little bit later tonight. Still, you can get into this still tonight, uh, I believe, right, Joe George? Yeah, I mean, we're not going to kick you out of this place. So if you want to make sure to stop by, uh, send us a, a tweet. We'll tell you and send you directions on how to uh, how to get out here for the tailgate tonight. He's at Pac-Man Joe on Twitter. He's at Joe George at Radio, Georgia, Joe George Radio at Twitter. I'm at Jeremy Branham. 713-780-3776. Too much meddling going on with Jim Crane. What do you think, Houston? It's Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. We've got to tell you about HR&P, Human Resources and Payroll. Uh, Cougar owned by my colleague, O'Cooks. Members of the Cougar 100 for the eighth year in a row. You've seen the HR&P signage U of H games, or you've seen their beautiful building off the beltway as well. And business owners let hrp help you whether it's hiring a baseball manager or hr compliance benefits administration payroll onboarding hrp can help in 
any or all of those areas. No boxes with HRP. Doesn't matter how small the job, how big the job, how medium the job. HRP completely customizes a plan for whatever you and your business need. Do you have a problem, an issue, a big one, a small one? You want to take a little bit off your plate, a lot off your plate? HRP will find a way to help you, and they'll work with you to find a way to help you. They do it in a way that's unique too. Technology meets service. Best technology. You'll love that. You'll trust that, but you'll love their service. Guaranteed fulfillment. You'll never talk to a stranger. You'll be talking to someone who knows you they know your business needs give them a call right now 281-880-6525 281-880-6525 let hrp customize a plan for you check them out online as well hrp.net that's hrp.net espn 97.5 and 92.5 planet unicorn hey planet unicorn unicorn planet Get back to the Killer Bees, whose hive is in the Mobile Veritex Community Bank Studios, live at the tailgate. Here's Joel and Jeremy. He's blank on Branham. We are at the tailgate, Silver Street Studio. Great spot to be. Looking forward to tonight. It's going to be a great time to be had by all. 713-780-3776. Hey, Branham and blank. You guys either want Dusty Baker to resign as general manager or be fired by Astros owner Jim Crane. How Astros owner Jim Crane hires Cito Gaston as replacement for outgoing Dusty Baker, and then he threw a baseball emoji in there at the very end for good measure. Um, Dusty's going to be a special advisor somewhere. I wouldn't mind if it's with the Astros. Cito Gaston is not going to work for the Houston Astros. It's just not going to happen. Dana Brown's not going to want that. I mean, if there are already issues with the lineup, and he's already going to have to get through another layer to the owner with Bagwell, do you think that you want Dusty still giving his opinions and meddling and being involved in the mix? Because now he's getting completely outnumbered to where basically he's just going to be a figurehead. Yeah, I mean, I don't – as an advisor, I think he's more just collecting a check and call him every now and then, maybe come out and do some – I don't think he's going to be very involved. Seal Gas in 79 – uh, years old. I had to Wikipedia to make sure he was still alive because I'm not great at that. Sometimes I think people are still with us. They're not. Sometimes I think people have left us and they've not. Gio Gaston has not left us yet, although closer to the end than the start. Uh, 4071, got to hire a great GM. I love the Astros. It's going to be painful to see them go the way of the Cowboys. I'm more excited for the moves the Texans have made with a terrible team from last year. Dynamic, positive changes. A meddlesome owner will break all of it. And I do think that Crane's meddling here. And like I think it's fair to talk about Dana Brown as a general manager because I think that the best organizations that win over a period of time have great general managing. It started with Jeff Luno. Jeff Luno built this whole thing, and you're still riding the wave of what Jeff Luno built. Like, your best players, Jeff Luno led. Like, uh, Purpura had something to do with Altuve. At least Purpura's reign was whenever they signed Altuve. He might have tried to block it because he was too small, but under Purpura's reign is when they had Altuve. Everybody else is a Luno guy. Jordan Alvarez traded for uh, traded for whenever Luno was the general manager. Bregman drafted uh, or was drafted by Luno. Lance McCullers, Justin Verlander originally traded whenever Jeff Luno was here. I think Click made some really good moves that, that helped this organization as well, under the radar moves. Dana Brown really hadn't done anything. Like, and he, and that's, that was by design because they signed him so late. All that Dana Brown has were a couple of like waiver wire pickups in the trade deadline, which you know you can kind of question how much was he involved in the Verlander deal. I, I think he was heavily involved in it, at least in the negotiation. Crane might have been told him, hey, go get it done. But Dana Brown was the one negotiating the whole thing, certainly. But like we still don't, we have no idea what Dana Brown's going to be as a general manager. Doesn't it also lead, lead you to at least question in the selection process and the interview process if maybe that was more the reason why that they were looking for a first-time general manager? Yeah. Because if you bring in a guy with experience that has some pelts on the walls, they're going to be in the middle of the process, and one of their questions for you is going to be the hierarchy, the decision-making process, how I get to the point where if there's a point A and point B conversation that I'm trying to see my way into getting the deal done, do I need all of your approval? Do I have a window of oppor- you know, of, of, of funds to deal with? Am I free to do whatever I think is best in the- all these things with an experienced general manager, especially one that has won, is going. The guy's going to come in with his questions too, and he's going to need structure to un- understand the structure. A first-time general manager is going to be glassy-eyed and celebratory of the fact I got to be. I'm a general manager now in, the, in Major League Baseball, probably willing to concede to more because they haven't done it before. Especially one like Dana Brown talked about how he he was overlooked multiple times for a general manager, and he really wanted to be a general manager. But think of, think of the pool that they were interviewing. 
when they hired a GM. Like, it was Dana Brown. It was Mike Hill who works in Major League Baseball and actually had the whole appeal process for Brian Abreu. It was Brad Osmus whose name was in the mix as well. So it wasn't, a, like, a great pool. And of all those guys, and then throw James Click into the mix, who you gave this fake one-year contract to, of all those guys, which one has the, the most prowess? The, uh, the, the Which one of those has the most accolade? Which one of those do you believe in the most over a five, seven, ten-year window? For me, it's James Click. James Click, it's easy. Yeah, I mean, it's look, quick. he's got he's he's got analytical experience. He understands the modern day game and, and all the changes and all the analytics and uh, and still how it relates to the finances and balancing the the finances to make sure that you know you have what you need and you also understand the planning with not going too far. We knew Click was a guy that w- Crane was on board with not doing the the, the eight ten year contracts at the exorbitant amount of money because the return on investment wasn't there. Mm-hmm. So you have a guy. That because of his upbringing, because of his experiences, because where he was previously, was the guy perfectly suited to take over for Luno and still carry on the analytical part of it, but still understand the baseball part of it in terms of the talent management. I I mean, I'm not trying to knock Dana Brown because I don't know anything. We don't know enough about him, and I thought that it was a good hire at the time, especially coming from the Atlanta organization and the young people that he helped develop. But you need a guy that's able to spread his wings and do it his way to an extent, and if the owner's going to clip his wings and not let him fly, how long is he going to be here before he flies somewhere else where he gets greener pastures and a better opportunity? See, I think that Dana Brown could be a very good general manager too, but I feel like his wings are being clipped. Yep. Like this whole this whole thing, the way that they hired Dana Brown last year and the way that, that Brian McTaggart alludes to the fact that they're going to go through the managerial search, Jim Crane and Jeff Bagwell are acting as president of baseball operations, and Dana Brown's the gopher boy who does all the grunt work. He's the one who negotiates. He's the one who's calling other teams for trades. He's the one that's putting things on the desk of Jeff Bagwell and Jim Crane. Like, we talked about Bagwell being the general manager of this team last year, and we said well, he's never going to work that hard. He doesn't want nope. to do all the gopher work of managing an analytical team, of, of calling all of these teams on tra- like for trades, overvaluing, like over, overseeing a scouting department on draft day. Like, Bagwell does his nothing, to, nothing to do with that. But if you put him over the general manager, then maybe that's more intriguing, where you just call him in on these big decisions, like a manager, like a deadline trade, like a free agent in Jose Abreu. That's where Bagwell Bagwell's acting like the team president, where if you bring something to his desk, then he'll entertain it. And it's the same thing with Jim Crane, and I think that they have the wrong guys making the baseball decisions. You bring in a general manager, you let that general manager make the baseball decisions. Coach G says, is Jim Crane becoming Jerry Jones? Yeah. Like, absolutely. So I think I think there's absolutely no question based on he liked the fact that where he was the general manager for a short period of time last offseason and he likes the fact that he wants to meddle in baseball operations like Jerry Jones, like Dan Snyder did, <clears throat> like those rare like Davis does with the Raiders. The guys that just it's their toy, they want to be able to play with it how they they choose and they don't have to report to anybody. So it's a dangerous proposition, and that's what you have to try and weed your way through because you know damn well, Jeremy, the first thing that, that, that they're going to say is go put together a list of your top ten candidates to be manager of this team. Now tell me what you thought, think of each one of those. Now we're also going to tell you, Bagwell's going to go, now put Osmus on that list, maybe one or two other guys that he's had relationships with that he wants to do a solid for, and he also wants to see if, you know, if, if Crane might like him and that it might make some sense. But other than that, they're going to make Dana do every yep. bit of the work, and then they're going to want, want to be the ones that take the credit when the hiring's done. Look, and, and, and you could still get the managerial hire right. Like, if you think that Joe Espada is the, the guy that should be the manager, or you think that, you know, Johnny Appleseed should be the next man, like, they could still hire that guy, and then they could say, okay, we got our general manager in place, we got our manager in place, and it's time for us to take a back seat. That's what I'm hoping for. That's what I'm hoping happens. I hope that they really rely on Dana Brown to bring in a Dana Brown manager. Dana Brown, they all work together. They bring in a manager that they're going to be aligned, they're going to be in sync, and then everything's going to start clicking again. That's what I'm rooting for, and that's still plausible. That's still possible. I don't like what I'm reading. I don't like this Brian McTaggart report, but they could hire the best manager in this process that's going to work and be aligned with Dana Brown, and it could all be success. But this is the last time. This is the last time that Crane and Bagwell need to be acting as president of baseball operations. Hire good people and get out of the way, like you did with Luno, like you did with Hinch that built this whole thing. Here's the other thing, too, Jeremy. I I think that one of the things that has to be, whether it's a prerequisite or not, I think it's essential to kind of sustaining this run to some some degree is you need a manager that's not afraid to push back. You need a manager that's not afraid to be, especially if Dana gets to get one of his guys in there. Maybe he can get another voice in the room. But you need a more modern-day manager, but a manager that's going to be able to say, hey, look, 
that's not going to work, or we need this, or we're going to have to do this. You can't have another puppet. And I hate, I cringe at saying Dana Brown is a puppet, but right now he basically has a lot less power than we thought he was going to get. So you're going to need a manager that's not another pawn. You're going to need a manager that understands today's game, the way it's played differently than it was when Bagwell was playing, that can actually maybe be an ally to Dana Brown so that they can get things accomplished even when Bagwell and Crane are trying to meddle in. Somebody said this is a perfect comparison between Jones. Someone said Bagwell, Stephen Jones. The the one that I posted on Twitter, like, is Jeff Bagwell Jack Easterby? Like, is, is that what's happening? Is Bagwell the Easterby to the Astros to what Easterby was to the Texans? The only thing, though, is that, like, we, we did like the hire of Dana Brown, and Jeff Bagwell was <laughs> part of that process, it seems like, at least as well. So, like, he, they interviewed Osmus. They didn't hire him then. Do we so love like, Dana Brown's accolades versus every general manager around baseball, or do we like Dana Brown versus the pool of GMs they're interviewing? I think, that's, the pool. I, I think it's the latter. That's, yeah. that, that's the thing. Like, keep James Click. Keep James Click. No, I, I agree with that. But, like, if if Bagwell got you Dana Brown, maybe there's a chance it won't be Brad Osmus. Because I sure as hell feel like right now the next manager of the Astros is going to be Brad Osmus. Yeah. Look, That's if, how I feel right now. If Bagwell, if Bagwell is to Crane what Easterby was to Cal, Brad Osmus would be Josh McCown. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yep. If it's Brad Osmus, I think everybody's going to be really mad. And, and I think it's a little unfair to Osmus. Not a great manager, but Osmus is a smart dude. Like Osmus had like the playing prowess. He had no, the he accolades, and he, he went from he went to an Ivy League. Like yeah. I think that Brad Osmus could be a fine manager. His managerial accolades are not great. Was never really with a great team, no. but it's more the symbolism than it is the actual man. Like Osmus, the man, whatever. That's that's a decent hire, but Osmus, the symbolism of what it means, is atrocious. 713-780-ESPN, HRP listener line, 713-780-3776. What's your belief in the Texans coming off the bye? They're 3-3 three and three going to the bye. This is where we wanted them to be in playoff contention. 3-3 three and three going into the bye. Now they're coming off the bye. They go, they go to Carolina. They're favorites at Carolina. Is this a playoff team? Is this a division winner? Is this a team that's going to be on the cusp but miss it? Or is this a team that falls apart? 713-780-ESPN. Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Sweet sassy molassie. Clever metaphors and catchphrases escape me. Like a fat girl waving her trophy from the smell contest. Sweet sassy molassie, I'm trying my best here. Veritex Community Bank Studios are currently located at the tailgate, culture map, and sports map celebration of Houston sports. Now, here are your Houston sports professors, the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham. It's the first time I've heard that one. Sports professors? I thought they left that up to the morning guys. I thought we were just kind of the jabronis who that's, that's they the let talk to me. Okay, yeah. professors. Does, does professors apply to blankers and I? Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. I can see Joe being a professor. He's I got can. a professor look. I, I, can. I can. He looks like a professor. His dad was a teacher. Exactly. He comes by it honestly. Well, he is a teacher. He is a teacher. Yeah, I think I can see him being a professor. I very much would love to do that. Yeah, I would okay. love to teach like a communications class. Actually. I would too, actually. If anybody wants to hire me, I would love to be can a we professor. Do, can we like, like an adjunct we, professor? I would love. Do teach a class at U of H? Oh, that'd be awesome. Would they hire us? I don't know. I don't know. They, um, Sprinkle in a little sports marketing. Ask Professor Crow. He'd be the guy to talk to. They have a what? Trippiano teaches. And, uh, Jerry Trippiano teaches uh, uh, an adjunct uh, class at, at U of H. Jenny John Dial. Yeah. Jenny Dial Creech or Jenny yeah. Creech Dial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John Crow's son teaches. Is John Crow's son Craig Crow? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, Craig used to work at NASA. Oh, that makes sense. I think yeah. that's right. Yep. Yeah, Craig yep. Crow is uh, he's eccentric. He's awesome. I love Craig yeah, Crow. Yeah, Craig's awesome. Craig uh, a lot. John Crow was John Crow Productions in the old Summit, and they handled all of the TV crews and all of the broadcasting for television in the Summit until That's the right. Summit he, went to the Toyota He's Center. told me those stories, yep. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, he's Blank. I'm Brandon. We are indeed at the Telgate Silver Street Studio. Chef has stopped by. He was uh, He's doing some work setting up for tonight. He's like, I listen to you all the time. I was listening to you on the way in. Thank you, Chef. Chef Thank calls you, in chef. from time to time. Yeah, he calls in. He's Chef on our show. And then Jan was here earlier, too. From uh, I'm, well, I'm not going to say their name because they're with another station, but they're here with us they tonight. Used to be with us. So chef, uh, chef has stopped by already. There's like ten people here, and everybody knows us. So we appreciate that, chef. Thank you, chef. Thank you, Jan. Thanks for hanging out. Uh, hope to see you a little bit later tonight. Uh, this guy keeps texting us about Cito Gaston. Man, he's 79 years old. Cito yeah. Gaston's not going to be employed by the. A- well, Reggie Jackson's pretty old. He's employed but, by the Astros. But didn't McTaggart say they're looking to they're get looking younger. younger? Yeah, they're yeah, looking younger. younger. So I don't think Cito qualifies. So that, that eliminates Buck. 
Yeah, they're looking thank to get, God. That eliminates Buck. Bucks, I mean, they're going to go with a younger guy. I think it's going to – I think there's a decent chance. Okay, hear me out. Cash your trash. I think there's a decent chance they announce a spot of the manager tomorrow. Ooh, that quick? I, I think there's a decent chance. I think I think that even yeah. though I, I lean Osmus right now, if it's a spot of, why would you wait? Yeah. Like, if this has been the plan all along because of why he hasn't taken other jobs – then you announce it tomorrow. I think there's, there's a decent wrong chance. With that. You don't get that many opportunities, so the only I would push back and trash that because of the fact that I think that even if you know that's the leader in the clubhouse, you got to make sure that you didn't miss on one. You don't. You don't. You know, make your decision too quickly and then find out someone's going to become available or someone you become enamored with, and then you didn't make that. You can't make that decision because you already hired him. What's the managerial role coming like? Like really about nowadays it's being aligned with the general manager so like this is this is the sport where you can act fast where it's like yeah dana i can work with joe espada for sure like he, he sees the way i see things he he believes in my analytics uh and then bagwell and crane well we really like what a has done this has been a golden era yeah you came short this year but you still went to the seventh game of the alcs if you know it's a spot i think there's a decent chance i think it's less than 50 percent, but i think there's a 35 40 percent chance that they announce joe espada tomorrow at this little secret press conference i hope they don't i certainly i certainly hope that they do their due diligence and they explore uh, a multitude of candidates before they decide that they already had the best because can- they can still make that announcement and it sounds perfect and it looks like the the, the perfectly executed plan of hey we, we wanted to see who everybody that was out there and give everybody a fair chance and then at the end of the day we realized our best candidate was in-house we decided to go with the guy that we knew all along was a guy that knew dana knew the organization knew the players and he would be the best fit i would think omar omar lopez gets an interview or at least they're going to talk to him, too, because he has a lot of respect in that dugout. Because the other thing that we understand through how professional sports works these days, yes, you could be aligned with Dana, but you could also be aligned with ownership. And sometimes you can talk out of both sides of your mouth or you can play both sides of an equation, and that can rub one of the sides a little differently. And I'm also a little leery of the fact that Joe Espada could have had multiple jobs. He interviewed for multiple jobs in the last couple of years. I'm just a little bit perplexed why he didn't at least get one offered to him whether he turned it down or not yeah i mean i don't know if that's a determining factor of being a good manager or not like there's a lot of good coaches that have lost out on interview processes uh, i don't know like if your decision though is a spotter versus lopez what's the interview process going to ter- teach you like i think you already know your answer if it's only i'm not saying it's only those two and i agree with you seeing things through do your due diligence turn over every stone but if you're deciding between two guys mm-hmm. joe espada omar lopez what are you going to learn in the next two weeks that you don't already know with those guys being in your organization for years? It depends on who you talk to. I mean, I think if you talk, it's one thing if you talk to, you know, guys in the system or guys, you know, that are advanced scouts and otherwise they're going to be dealing with the man, you know, and, and got I, mean, play. I, I don't think you're asking advanced scouts who should be the manager of the team, though. No, but you get feedback because they've, they've interacted with these guys in the system. But I think the biggest thing is you got to talk to your players. I mean, you, you got to be – look, it's one thing to say, hey, it was our bench coach or it was our first base coach. But you got to understand from your core group of players that are your best players, hey, what would you think if we, if we hired so-and-so? And then what would you think if we hired, if we hired Joe, if we hired Omar? Give me your pros and cons. And just – hear it out because sometimes you think you know but you don't know until you talk to your best players the the, the dangerous part of doing that though is you you ask Altuve who he wants and then you don't hire who Altuve wants it's true Deshaun it's like, Watson exactly yeah. it's the whole Deshaun Watson thing so that's like the dangerous part of trying to get player input and all that stuff uh eight eight six three hire Berkman or Biggio or is that just crazy it's crazy love both of those guys as players and they should stay that way but I thought that Burke you know what and maybe it's just to do Berkman a solid for his college coaching career as well to get a little extra clout going forward but i thought about bagwell saying we got to at least interview berkman he said he didn't say that did he? no i oh. thought i thought this morning that bagwell would probably because i knew osmus was a slam dunk he was going to say we got to interview him yeah i could see bagwell saying let's interview berkman even if it's just a solid for berkman but i, I could see him bringing him in as well are bagwell and berkman boys like that i think i think they're i think they're better than just Team, old they seem like polar opposites. I, I don't know. They, I agree with I, I, you. I don't know at all if they're if they're tied or not. They just but seem like polar opposites. I, I, too. I know you're going. I understand that, but I also think Lance's personality, though, is, is still such and it's good enough that it, it sat well with, yeah. with with Baggy over the years. I think Bertman would be great on television. By the way, like I think he's he has that personality. He's got enough like excitement. Blah 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 blah. But he's got a His, decent job now. I think he'd tell the stories, but I think he's got that personality side that would be funny. Sixty thirty says Craig Council. I, a lot of people have mentioned this because he's probably the top candidate on the market. He's a Met. Like he, he's he's, he's already done. a Met. Like I know he's not technically officially a Met. He's a Met. 
Well, why wouldn't you be when your old boss with Milwaukee is the new boss of the Mets and you don't have to worry about the owner or the situation that you're going into here with the owner possibly meddling and ex-players meddling and, and, you know, and not knowing the general manager that you're going to be working side by side with, why wouldn't you go where you have an added padded layer of comfort because of the guy you're going to be working for is a guy you have experience with? And on top of that, and I think it's more important than that, Steve Cohen's going to make him the highest-paid manager in baseball, whereas I don't think Jim Crane's going to do that. They weren't Not, going to do it in Milwaukee either. Yeah, I think the council's going to cash in. I think he's going to get more paid more than anybody else. Uh, 9953, can you explain the difference between president of baseball operations and GM in baseball? Seems uh, duplicative compared to other sports. Usually it's president of baseball operations is just usually higher in the hierarchy than the GM. That's really the only difference. I think a lot of times it depends on the, who they are. I mean, sometimes you're going to be a, have a, a title of president of baseball operations that's an ex-player or a guy that, you know, has the ear and, and uh, of the owner and can do some marketing and some, do some things across the organization and make sure you don't forget about the players that used to be. If you get a Stearns involved in it who used to be a general manager who's got great baseball pedigree, now you're talking about a guy who's going to probably have to sign off on everything and hire a general manager that knows how he wants to do things and he's going to be the end-all, be-all. In certain cases, depending on who they are, you can have a president of baseball operations, but the general manager is still going to make the call. Yeah, I think most of the time the president makes, I think, makes a lot of the final calls. Like that's what we just saw with this disaster of what the Miami Marlins are. It might like be Bagwell. <laughs> I mean, like you, you have a you have a clear manager, Kim. I don't know how to say her last name. Eng. Yeah. Like they get just don't say it. She gets the Marlins to the playoffs for the first time in how long? And then they want to hire someone above her, yeah. be the president of baseball operations. She walks, but like I think you're right. It might just be Bagwell is its unofficial title. Does she want to be a general manager though? Because like she didn't even take the Boston interview. That's what I was thinking too. Like that's the whole situation's weird. It but is weird. I think it depends on the finances. If they if they pay if, if she's still getting paid and she walked away, I, I don't know that you could take a, a later, quote unquote lateral move right away. Well, you I don't would. think she's getting paid though because I think it was a mutual option for next year, and she uh, yeah, they she they picked it up and she bailed, so she declined the option and then declined an interview with Boston. Like I, I, I think she probably has like a job in baseball lined up. It seems like like yeah. I don't think she wants to be a GM anymore. She did work I, in the I, front I office of Major League Baseball, right? Yeah, she did. I think Between she the Yankees from. in there? Yeah, I yeah, think I think so, yeah. she probably has something lined up like that. Um, just my guess, anyway. 713-780-ESPN. What, what would make Brad Osmus a bad manager? I think Brad would honestly be fine. T- to me, it's more the symbolism of Brad. Like, he, he won a division his first year in Detroit. He was 500 in Detroit, but it's not a great job. He was one and done with L.A., but that's not a great job. At, at, he was before Joe Madden, too. Yeah, and I think, was, yeah. I think Madden became available, and they really wanted Joe Madden. I think Osmus is a fine baseball manager but to me it's just it's a signal that chef bagwell is the de facto yeah. president of baseball operations yeah, the only thing, and that scares me it doesn't help dana brown at all no the only thing that like would be more of a signal that Je- that baggy's in charge is if like if jeff blum becomes the manager of the astros <laughs> Blum, <laughs> no. their best friends no blummer's gonna be the third base coach don't worry about it. i could see that i would be really upset with that if Blum was I out could of the see him booth, with the dugout. yeah, you don't want him to leave TV. If, if Blum was out of the booth and like the third base coach, I'd be really disappointed by that. Such, he's a really good dude. I think he'd be more bench coach than base coach. I know that's like logistics and who cares, but it, like, yeah, no, he's a bench coach. Because usually yeah. you go first base coach to third base coach type it's of a bench deal. Coach. Yeah, well, or, or even you can go straight to bench coach. But usually you never coach third unless you've had experience at first for whatever that's, that's, reason. Oh, that's that's weird. Uh, Seven six six five. Biggio won state championships coaching at St. Thomas. Whoa, should right. be too much harder. Little oh, shout boy. out to uh, St. Thomas. Uh, I thought Jim Crane's son was the president or maybe another high position. That's from Big Art. That's true, but that's on the business side. Like, yep. president of baseball operations, that's saying that they have control of the baseball operations of the team. Uh, Jim Crane's son might not have the title of president, but basically the president, the guy that replaced Reed Ryan. Uh, there's, there's always, like, a president of ba- a business, president of – and these team, every single team has very unique titles. Mm-hmm. They all are kind of Some the same Some could be CEO, uh, and that's the business side, as opposed yeah. to president of – Whatever sport it is. All right, seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Let's talk about this Texans team. Three and three coming off the bye or playoff dreams real in Houston. Killer bees on ESPN ninety seven five, ESPN ninety two five. Hey, right now I want to tell you about the good people at Allstate Siding and Windows because they're the best in the business at taking care of your number one investment, and that's your house. You're going to take care of your home. You want to do a lot of things to make sure that nothing breaks down, that it's protected. It keeps the energy inside the building and doesn't allow seepages and leaks that can actually make it more difficult for you to be comfortable in your own home. 
Allstate Siding and Windows been in business for over four decades. They, it's a family-owned and operated business. Mary and everybody there, they know what they're doing. They want to help Houstonians, and they take care of you every step of the way. They're doing windows at my house. They're taking care of every bit of the process, asking questions, getting answers, seeing what we want, and then making sure we get what we need. And that's what you want when you're going through a process like getting windows. You Do you want the double panes? You know the quality is what matters. And windows are Texas tough. Made in Texas to sustain the weather elements and also keep the elements that are outside out and the good elements inside your house, like air conditioning in the summer and heating in the winter. You can save up to 40% on your energy bills with vinyl windows available at Allstate Siding and Windows. They also have tons of other specials and opportunities getting in there and going for you. You can get nine months same as, 12 months same as cash. You can get nine months interest-free. You can do all different kinds of things because you go to Allstate Siding and Windows. Right now, $150 off on, a, on Windows with a minimum of 10 windows. Check them out today. Give them a call. See if they're right for you, too. 832-204-1936. That's 832-204-1936. Or go to AllstateSidingAndWindows.com. ESPN975.com. If you want in, you have to audition. Hi, I'm Carrie Dubeck, and I'm reading for the role of Man at Party Who Smells Fart. Back to the Killer Bees, live from the Mobile Veritex Community Bank Studios at the tailgate. Here's Joel and Jeremy. He's blank on Branham. We are Silver Street Studios, the tailgate. Looking forward to, very much to tonight. Also looking forward to Sunday. Number one pick of the draft, Bryce Young. Number two pick of the NFL draft, C.J. Stroud. Number three pick of the NFL draft, Will Anderson. We'll all be on the football field Sunday when the Texans go on the road, take on the Panthers as road favorites. It's the last time the Houston Texans will be able to say that, that they are road favorites. What's your belief in the Texans coming off the bye? Big picture view. Is this a playoff team? Is this a division winner? Is it a team that's going to be on the cusp in the hunt but miss? Fall apart. 713-780-3776. What do you think, Blake? I think, I think they're on the cusp. I, I think that they're going to be teetering with it. I think they're going to be flirting with it. I think that they're going to have an opportunity possibly to get in and possibly win this division because it's a bad division. But it's not a slap in the face or a negative, people, for me to say this. I don't think that they're going. They're there yet. I think that they have taken bigger steps than I thought that they were even going to take this year, that their roster is a lot better than I thought that it would be this year. And I think that they are definitely on the rise, and they're a team that's going to be reckoned with more and more with each passing year. I just think that as far as they've gone this to take this next step, they're going to, they're going to end up, in my mind, just a little short for this season. That's not a bad thing. But I think that's a, a real possibility for this team. A chance to win four or five games, which would be the first time it's happened in Texans organization history since 2019. That was the year that they went into Arrowhead. They had the big lead. They lost, of course. Deshaun Watson was the quarterback for that team, who now can't beat out P.J. Walker. They're going to make they're going to make Deshaun Watson a healthy inactive because they want P.J. Walker to lead their team. Uh, I think the, I think the Texans are going to take care of a, of a bad schedule. I, I really do. Like, the, the bottom of the AFC isn't fantastic. Um, I, I thought early in the year in, like, pre-buy that it would be easier to win the division versus to sneak in as a wild card. I, I flipped there. I think it's more likely to get one of the wild card spots. I think nine wins is going to get you a wild card spot. Uh, Jacksonville's playing a little bit better as of late. Does Jacksonville get to ten wins? You have nine wins, and now you're into the wild card. I think it's easier to get the wild card now than it is to win the division. Where we talked winning the division, you could do it with nine wins. Maybe it's going to take ten. AFC wild card. Maybe the bottom isn't as strong as we thought. We thought the wild card, you'd need ten wins. Now it's looking like nine. So I think it's easier to actually get in as a wild card than, than the division. Now where the Texans have the advantage over Jacksonville is they've already beaten Jacksonville. So you, you, you get the victory whenever you play the return game at home, which it's at home. You beat up on Jacksonville pretty bad at Jacksonville. Now you finish with a tie, and you're the division champions. I think that the Texans are going to be in the mix for both of them. I think they're actually going to make the playoffs, which is unheard of for where we were at the beginning of the year. Yep. Uh, I was certainly very critical of the Texans, like six, seven wins. Uh, don't put stock in a team that has a rookie quarterback because it's hard for rookie quarterbacks to win in this league, which it is. It is, but it's a testament to how good C.J. Stroud has been. I think C.J. Stroud's going to continue to get better. This team is getting healthier. This team is well coached. I think this team's going to go 9-8 and eight and make the wild card. I, I really do. I think it's going to be really tight. I, I also believe they're going to make the playoffs, but if they don't, I think it's because – whether it's P.J. Walker or Deshaun Watson, the Browns win that game at the end of the season. Like I, th- I think they're going to be right there on the cusp. 
of, you know, it's Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Buffalo right now, the three wild card teams. Cincinnati's going to make the playoffs, knock out one of those teams, and then there's going to be the Texans and everyone else are be fighting for that last spot. I think it might come down to that Browns game. This goes like, back to a conversation. Ooh, yeah. This goes back down back to a conversation we had a few weeks ago when we were think we were talking about what's it going to take for you to be true believers for this season. And and, and we said, you know, and I I said, look, you got to take care of the schedule, like Jeremy said. But there's got to be a signature win. There's got to be another signature win that says you won a game that you weren't supposed to win or people didn't think you were going to win. But also along the way, you can't slip up and lose a game you're supposed to win with an easier schedule. So there's still a ton of work to be done coming out of the bye. See, I push back on that, though. Like, I I could argue that they have two signature wins already. Jackson's the first one. Defeating the AFC South champion on the road by 20 points, I think, is a signature win. And how about beating Pittsburgh? Pittsburgh's in the playoffs right now. They they smoked them. They won by 24 points. They held the Steelers to under – they didn't score a touchdown. Like, they dominated that game. I think those are two signature wins. And then on top of that, you can rack up nine, ten wins this season without beating anybody that's above 500 the rest of the year. So, like, I don't know if you need that signature win. I would also push back on, like, you can you can slip up every now and then. You could lose at Carolina this week, but if you win three of your next four games, Tampa at Cincy probably lost there, home for Arizona, home for Jacksonville, then, then you pick up that win that you let slip away. So – because Which, of the schedule, I would agree with you most years. I, I, I want to make that known. Like, I'm not pushing back, like, with a general thought because I agree. But because of the schedule being so poor, I don't think that they need a signature win, and I don't think they're going to get one the rest of their schedule that was as good as at Jacksonville and home for Pittsburgh. I think the better way for me to sum it up is the margin of error gets a lot, a, a lot tighter with, with a, any slip-up that you might have because as you look at the wins you should have, yeah, I think we all agree you're not supposed to win at Cincinnati. But if you lose, say this week, then Tampa Bay, which you should win, or yeah. one of those games, or Jacksonville, which you think you you have a really good chance to win and continue to dominate them. But if you don't, and they know they got to have that for the if there's a tie and with the, what it means for the division too, that it gets harder. Now your margin of error becomes super super slim, and that's where it gets a lot more difficult as well. See, I, that's why I've been looking at the, at the pockets because I think the pockets are important, and I kind of look at it at a baseball series. Maybe that's just the way my mind thinks. But if you look at the pockets the rest of the way, you take two of three in all of these pockets, you're getting to ten wins. Carol at Carolina, home for Tampa at Cincinnati, like that's a two and one pocket. Okay, cool. You go two and one there, you're five and four. The next three game pocket, all home games here. Home for Arizona, home for Jacksonville, home for Denver. You don't have to win all of them. Win two of those three. Okay, you win two of those three. Now you're seven and five. Your next pocket, at New York, which looks a little difficult because they've been playing well, even with Zach Wilson. At Tennessee, who knows what they look like. And then Joe said maybe that Cleveland game is the big swing game of the season. You go two and three, two and of three in that pocket. Now you're looking at a nine and six record with two games left to play. So, like, the schedule is super favorable. I, I don't think that the Texans were, like, roster-wise or a team that I'm like, oh, yeah, this is one of the top five teams in the AFC because they're young. I still think that they have room to grow for them to be a top five AFC roster. I still don't think that rookie quarterbacks are going to be, like, incredibly successful in their rookie year. But the biggest trump card that you have and the biggest pushback to any argument against for the Texans is the schedule is super favorable. Fluffy. It's super fluffy. Well, it's it's fluffy, but it's also just like there are teams that might be fluffy, but it, the whole playoff race is right in front of you. You play Jacksonville. You play the Jets, who are also 3-3. Three and three. You play the Bengals, who are 3-3. Three and three. Like you play a bunch of teams. That, like when you look at the standings right now of how do you get to the playoffs – they control their own destiny also. Like, if they do play well against these teams, like, you're going to play two of the best defenses in the NFL when you play Cleveland and when you play the Jets. Mm-hmm. Like, if you win those games, those teams at this moment are the same exact record as you or Cleveland has, has one more win, one less loss. But, like, they're all right there from where the bye schedule. Like, you can control your own destiny and make the playoffs if you take care of business. Like, you can, but th- that's what I'm saying, too. It's you look at some of these matchups saying they should win that game yeah. or have a good chance to win that game. Tampa very well could beat them. I you think know, it's a coin flip you, game. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, I, I, I agree think, with that. Yeah, I don't think that you're going to be, like, a big favorite or that everybody's going to say though, everybody's going to pick the Texans. That's a game that could go either way that could decide a lot. The Jacksonville game is obviously a game that could go either way I that think could that's decide the biggest a lot. game left. Jacksonville? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, now you're looking, at, you're looking at tiebreaker scenarios there. Like, you just – finish tied with Jacksonville and your division champions. I agree with you, Blank, because I, I, I was looking at it from the other point of view, but let's look at it from both point of views. It, Vegas spread, rest of the way. The Texans won't be more than a three-and-a-half-point underdog, I, I think, to eh, maybe Cincinnati. Other than Cincinnati, they won't be an underdog by more than three-and-a-half points to anybody, I believe. 
But on the flip side of it, they probably won't be more than a three-and-a-half-point favorite right. against anybody. So, like, almost every single one of the rest of their games, maybe with the exception of at Cincinnati because they're playing better football, they're playing like the Bengals we thought they would be, except for that game, all of the other games that the Texans have are, are coin flip games. Are. Like we need Lance's coin to determine how the Houston Texans schedule is going to turn out. Because I think the Delta is going to be three and a half point underdogs, three and a half point favorites, everywhere in between, which are basically coin flip games in the NFL. But you, you win, you win the coin flip on on all of those. You're looking at a nine and eight season, perhaps. Well, not exactly because they're three and three. Maybe you get one coin flip that you shouldn't have. You're looking at a nine and eight season, like. They're going to be in the thick of this race. They're going to be in the race. Ultimately, I think they get it in because they're, they're well coached. And I'm really excited. Even if they don't get in, this is going to be tremendous for their growth. Well, that, that, that's my point when we started the discussion is it's not a bad thing if, you just, if you're right there to the bitter end and you don't get in because it shows enough and it sends a message to the rest of the league. We are done being the, the doormats. We are not the same old Texans. We are a team that's on the rise. We are a team with talent. We are a team that has structure and organization and coaching. And we are going to continue to be a nightmare for the rest of this league as we continue to add pieces and draft picks and spend money. And that's something that we couldn't say for the last three-plus yep. years. Plus, I'm a believer, too, that I want young teams to, to have adversity. Like, I, I, want one team, I want young teams to taste failure. And you could look at recent examples of this. Like, you could look at the Astros. Okay, 15. They got into the playoffs. They played a tough division series. Could have beaten Kansas City. Didn't. One or two plays went against them. Kansas City goes on to win the World Series. And then they missed the playoffs the next year. Okay, adversity. Let's see how a young team handles the adversity. You go back to your days with the Rockets. Like, how long did it take them to get over the mountaintop? It took them a long time in some grueling series before 93-94, before 94-95. I like it when teams have adversity early. And if C.J. Stroud is a rookie and Will Anderson is the pillar of the defense and D'Amico Ryan's first year as a head coach, if, they are, if they're in the playoff hunt in week 16, week 17, week 18, if they're lucky enough to get in it and they get blown out in the wild card, I think that goes a long oh. way in their development where we were talking early in the year, six, seven wins, they don't really get those experiences that I think are critical down the road. Well, and you know CJ's and X's and O's guys, but that's a seasoning type thing that adds to more than just playbooks and X's and O's. That makes you, that, that, that lights the fire. That gets you burning even hotter. That, that uses that motivation for an entire team and a coaching staff to say, hey, you know what it's like to be there and then have the door shut in your face. Let's push the door down, as Bum Phillips would say. Let's push the damn door down and let's go get it. And that's what they're going to be chasing. I love that line. All right, so the Texans, uh, they're 3-3. Three and three. The trade deadline is a week from yesterday. Halloween day, trade deadline in the NFL. If we believe that the Texans are going to be in the mix, and I think that we both think they're going to be in the mix, whether they make it or not, it's kind of where we're divisive here. But if the Texans are trying to be a playoff team, if they're trying to win this division, should the Texans be sellers or buyers at the deadline? 713-780-3776. And some recent Nick Casario comments might not be too exciting. Maybe Buzz killed this a little bit. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. ESPN 97.5, because every day is Children's Day. It was a baby. She smothered her own baby.